Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. We're going to look at another couple of vain philosophies, and they're really root philosophies that divide us as Christians, that divide up the church. And you might be wondering, well, what what are those? And and it's any philosophy that really takes from us a focus on Christ, because in Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so we want to be careful never to be taken captive through the philosophies and the deceits of this world. And there are so many voices in our world that are trying to divide us up, even as a church, trying to divide us up and to to make us dislike one another or to find issues with one another. In our home, there is an ongoing joke about how I'm an Xer and I, I will never be able to get along with my millennial and zillennial children. Because they are so different. Now, it's a joke. I love my kids. I try and communicate with them in terms that they will understand. What, like, no cap? Yeah, I I shouldn't do it. I'm sorry. I shouldn't try. I try, but it doesn't work. Um, Right? And and, uh, so... But, but the thing is, is even in my own home, the culture is trying to divide us, trying to divide people that, that, that we love and trying to draw these lines and make us hate one another because we don't have the same looks or the same preferences or the same desires. And it's important that we address these things. It's important that we, we, we look at it. Because here's, here's what's interesting is, is C.S. Lewis, he was a, a bit of a prophet when he wrote. And if you're not familiar with C.S. Lewis, you've probably heard of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. He wrote that book and uh, that whole series. And, but he was also a pretty solid theologian and philosopher. And he wrote a book, another book, uh, uh, a novel called The Screwtape Letters. Anybody familiar with those? A few folks. Um, and in this book... C.S. Lewis imagines uh, a, a correspondence between two demons. One who is tasked with tempting a young man and leading him astray, and another who's way high up in the ranks, and he's earned his place in the demon world by being good at tempting and leading humans astray. And so Screwtape, the older, more learned demon writes to his nephew, Wormwood, the one who's just getting started. And he says this, he says, do what you will. There is going to be some benevolence as well as some malice in your patient's soul. In other words, everybody's going to struggle with, with both having this desire to serve and this selfishness and hatred. The great thing is to direct the malice to his immediate neighbors whom he meets every day So to make the person hate those who are nearest to them, to to, to create lines of division between they and the ones that they encounter every moment of every day, the ones who should be most important to them, to create lines of division. 
and to thrust his benevolence out to the remote circumference to people he does not know. Oh, we all love the idea of supporting a child in another country, don't we? For just $20 a month, or 30 or 40 now with inflation. You can, can change the life of one child. And while that is a good thing, many of us treat the people right in front of us with hatred and malice. Even as we give our $40 a month to a child half a world away and think we're changing the world. Screwtape tells Wormwood this is exactly what you want your target to do. The malice thus becomes wholly real and the benevolence largely imaginary. In other words, you will become the genuinely evil person that you want not to be and your benevolence will be relegated to wishful thinking and hopes directed towards someone far off and mostly irrelevant to your life. And that kind of brings us to the first of dividing things that our culture wants to do to us, and that is racism. This is a grievous evil in our world, racism. The dividing of individuals away from one another based upon skin color, eye color, ethnicity. We'll get into more detail as we look, but Jesus was so clear. It's interesting, this verse that we've used, it's done a lot of heavy lifting. Because Jesus goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 to tell us that God created us. And he created us. And when we talked about intimacy, God's creation dictates the nature of intimacy in humanity. When we talked about gender issues, God's creation of us dictates how we view gender issues in the church and that we were created male and female and should live in that creation faithfully, even if we might struggle. And so we see that, that God's creation of us is so critical because he said that he, it says that he created us in his own image, in his own image. And so we have value and in purpose We were not created willy-nilly. We were not created uh, lacking in any way. That all of mankind is in God's image. In in fact, that we see that all of us have that same starting point. And Genesis 3.20 tells us that Adam named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Even Adam recognized that Eve was the source of every individual in this world. If we look on uh, later, uh, Jesus talks about the days of Noah and, and talks about when Noah boarded the ark. Now, what does that tell us about the story of Noah? That Jesus believed it to be history. And if Jesus believes something to be history, doesn't it behoove us to believe that it's history? If Jesus says it's true and you call Jesus your Lord and Savior... Why would you discount what he calls true? Now, why is this important? Because we know that in, in Noah's ark, that, that all of mankind was wiped out, save how many folks? That's right. We got Shem, Hem, and Japheth, and Noah and his wife, Joan, of ark. <laughs> anyway. Jesus says this history is true. And in this encounter, only Noah was left and those that were with him in the ark, the other seven. Now, what does this tell us about us as humans? Well, first, 
we can see that there was the beginning, Adam and Eve, and they grew up into mankind. And then the flood narrows it back down to just eight individuals. And mankind then comes out from them. And so if that's the case, biblically, we must understand that all of mankind finds their roots in a common ancestry. Every person on this earth, because of the story of Noah and his wife being true, every person on this earth, according to the Bible, is not just a descendant of Adam and Eve, but actually a descendant of Noah and his wife. That we all share a common ancestry in Noah and his wife and their three sons. And so if that's the case, and we look at this idea of racism... We look at this idea of dividing ourselves according to color, according to hair, according to to eye color. We really understand that racism is not a biblical concept because we are all one race. We all have one common ancestry. And in fact, racism itself, the very concept of racism is anti-biblical. And do you know why? Because the idea of racism, to look at someone who comes from another part of the world and to view them as being of a different origin from yourself is actually rooted in Darwinian evolution, not biblical truth. Darwinian evolution says that we all came from monkeys and one branch developed a little better than another branch. And that's why we can treat one another poorly because we're not all from the same background and history. And that is decidedly bad thinking, but it's actually scientifically unbiblical. And not just unbiblical, but anti-biblical. And so if you harbor in your heart racist views, you are not just standing up and espousing bad thinking. You are grabbing hold of things that are decidedly against the teachings of Scripture in their very formulation and foundation. Maybe the better thing that we need to address is what we might call, instead of racism, biblically we would say we need to address our ethnic prejudice. Our ethnic prejudice. Because the word that ethnic, it, it's actually in Scripture. It's, it's where we, we get things in Scripture. Reve, or excuse me, Acts chapter 17, verse 26, the Apostle Paul, he's preaching and he says this, From one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. God made mankind. We all come from one man. And he has made every nationality. The word nationality there is ethnos. And we get our concept of ethnicity from this word. And so it it, it could be that we could take this verse and say, from one man he has made every nationality, not every nationality, but every ethnicity. Everything that we would, every way that we would divide ourselves up, God made them all and they've all come from one man. We have a common ancestry. And so we need to begin to address our ethnic prejudice, looking at each other differently. After this, I looked, this is the Apostle John, and in his view of the Revelation, he looks and there was a vast multitude in heaven from every nation, tribe, people, and language. 
Some of us, the world that we grew up in, the mindset that we grew up with is that John, when he looked up into heaven, what he would see is a vast multitude who are white from North America and Protestant. That's what we would expect. Because we're racists. We have deep ethnic prejudice. But what God's word says is that every nation, every ethnicity, every tribe, every people, every language is represented in heaven. Now, what does that say to us? That we are all equal before God. We all come from the same root. We all stand the same potential to end in the same place at the feet of the king, worshiping together. And so what he has declared from a common origin with a common end, may we not declare it something that should be divided up and hated. And so we must address our ethnic prejudice. Because the scattering and gathering of ethnic groups is according to God's perfect plan. And so there is no one that we should see as less than. There is no one that we should see as so wholly different that they don't deserve to hear the gospel and be loved as a brother or sister in Christ. Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Anybody else like that? That just sounds good, doesn't it? Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. I mean, my neighbors are okay. I can do that. But the other guys across the street, they're my enemy. I can hate them. They let their dog barks too often. We like this. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. This was actually a distortion, though, of what the Old Testament taught, because the Old Testament taught to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus clarifies it and says this, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That even the people that we would see as different from us, the people that we would even come to a place of disliking intensely, we are supposed to love them. Now, what does love mean? It means as Jesus begins to explain it, verses 45 and 46 and 47, it means to see to it that they have adequate provision in their life. That according to your power and abilities to love is to make sure that no one in your sphere of influence goes hungry or is naked or is homeless. To love them, to show them affection, verse 46, to care for them. Verse 47, to simply value them as a person. To the example Jesus uses in verse 47 of chapter 5, it says to greet them. Just to say hello and treat people like they matter. And so Jesus tells us that, that we are not supposed to be people of prejudice. We are not supposed to be people of our own kind and color and class. But instead, we are supposed to be people who are loving and gracious and meeting the needs of others in every aspect of life. Ethnic prejudice has no place in the life of a believer. Now, what's interesting, though, is we shouldn't have prejudice against other ethnicities. But here's what the Apostle Paul wrote to, Tim, uh, to Titus in Titus 1, 12 through 14. One of their very own prophets, speaking of the people of the island of Crete, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Wait a minute. I thought we weren't supposed to practice ethnic prejudice. Well, he says... This is true about this ethnicity, and we need to acknowledge it. For this reason, rebuke them sharply, so that they may be sound in the faith and may not pay attention to Jewish myths and the commands of people who reject the truth. 
So we should not have ethnic prejudice. We should not look at other groups of people and condemn them because of, of who they are and where they come from. Our church should, should be welcoming to every class and color and background of person. But everyone should honestly assess their ethnic heritage in light of Scripture. And what does that mean? Well, here's an interesting thing. And for me, having moved north, it's amazing how ethnically prejudiced it is here in Pittsburgh. And, and you, might, you might not understand that. I have never experienced such prejudice as I have here in Pittsburgh. And it is, it is the Italians hate the Irish. They, they especially hate Jews. They don't like Germans, right? The, the, the Greek, they don't like this group. Irish, I'm, I'm Irish. I mean, of course I'm going to drink and fight. I've, I've never lived in a place where someone used their ethnic background as, a ba- as, as an excuse to sin. Never lived somewhere. I'm Italian. Of course I like sleeping around. What? I can't help it. I'm a passionate person. That's baloney. That's not what it means to be a Christian, is it? Everybody, we should honestly assess our ethnic heritage in light of Scripture. And, and this is true for every ethnicity, every background. Whether you're Italian or, uh, let's see, who can I hit? I, I got Italian, I've got Irish, I've got Hungarian. I know I just hit Hungarian. What are you pointing at? He's Hungarian. I nailed him. Um, uh, if I haven't hit your ethnicity yet, just give me a second. I'll think of them all, right? Uh, anyway, we should all look at our background and say, I'm not that because I've been saved by Jesus Christ. And I will not be prejudiced against any other ethnic background because all of them stand the potential to walk in faithfulness to Christ if they too are saved. All of us should look at our background in light of Scripture. Here's what Jesus says. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. What's that word again? Nations in the Greek it is ethnos. Ethnicities. There should be no one who is unwelcome in our effort to build the kingdom of God. No one who is unwelcome. Now, let's, let's move on real quick. I told you I wouldn't take the rest of the day. I'm going to, let's, let's, uh, let's punch some more. Some of you are like, I'm not racist. It's cool. Political division. What about this one? What about political division? What about the people who are looking and going, I hate Democrats or I hate Republicans or I'm a libertarian and I hate them all. In fact, as a libertarian, it's likely I hate myself as well. And some of you libertarians are like, yeah, that's right, I do. The Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians 6.12. It's so easy to get caught up in, in, in political division, isn't it? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, period. Do you, you, our enemies are not the people across the aisle. Our struggle is against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Every division in our church, every division we create in our lives is really a spiritual battle. One where we will look at others and hate them against the commands of Scripture, or we will look at others and love them and seek to live out the commands of Scripture because we understand this is a spiritual battle.
This is spiritual warfare. These are, these are demons that we are fighting against. And so we do not hate anyone for their political persuasion because we understand that it is a spiritual battle. For, for this reason, when you understand that it's a spiritual battle and not a hatred towards an individual or a hatred towards a group of individuals, for this reason, you need to fight a spiritual war. Take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. If you hate the other party or all the parties, your hatred is misdirected when it's towards people. It should be against the demonic forces that are seeking to destroy all of us. And your act should not be to go picket and hate and condemn and write snarky posts on social media, but instead to put on the full armor of God and begin to love and declare the truth. And what is the full armor of God? Verses 14 through 18, that truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, and your Bible. That's the full armor of God. God's truth, the righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus, the gospel of Christ that changes lives, your faith in God, your very salvation, and the Bible upon which you have based all of it. That's what you take up. And so, with, if, you know, let's, let's be honest about our church. We probably lean Republican. We probably lean conservative. And I'm not, I'm not saying that everybody here is. And I'm not saying that uh, it's wrong if you're not. In fact, I know of a couple who are pretty strong uh, on, the, on the Democrat persuasion. And we could easily be divided and hateful toward one another if we, under, if, if we see each other as our enemies instead of these dark forces that are trying to deceive us all. Take up and put on the armor of God. Spiritual always informs the political, and the political should never inform the spiritual. If in your life your political persuasion is affecting your spiritual life, you need to stop. Now, all of us, our spiritual lives... And how we walk with Christ should inform how we act regarding politics. The last area of division that our culture wants to bite us and tear us up with is men versus women. Anybody ever seen this? If you are married, it could be that you might see this every day at home. And it's kind of funny, but it's not, is it? that we're torn up, that we're divided, that we begin to fight. It's interesting, to, just a kind of brief overview. I'm not going to get into this. What's interesting, Colossians is going to give us more detail eventually on this topic. In Genesis 2, though, it tells us that we're unique creations. How do we know that? How did God make man? Formed him out of the dust of the earth, breathed life into him, boom. How did God form woman? From the side of man. Breathe life into her. Boom. Unique creations, would you agree? Two different means of creation. Genesis 3, after the fall, tells us they're going to have conflicting desires. Did you know that? Men and women have conflicting desires. What's interesting is I look at it and I kind of think about this. Men want to 
be responsible for nothing. And women want to be responsible for everything. And God has made it to where men are responsible before him. And that women are supposed to be walking in submission along with their righteous husband. And yet we don't like this, do we? Ephesians 5, Colossians 6 tells us what these roles are supposed to look like. But what does our culture tell us? Our culture is telling us, young men, it's okay to check out and play video games the rest of your life. It's not. Step up, man up, live up. Doesn't mean video games are bad. Don't hear me preaching that, son. Blow them off, enjoy them. But that's not who you are. You were made to lead a household. And if God has put in your heart that desire, you step up and you do it. And someday it might mean you'll have to put away the video games. It might mean you have to put away the golf clubs. It might mean you have to put away the wood shop or the hot rod. And instead, lead your family well. And ladies... You're looking at you, but you don't understand. He won't take responsibility for anything, so I need to be in charge. It's not how the Bible gives it. It is that your role is to, to be one of helping him to achieve and be good at that responsibility that God's given him. And it's challenging when he wants to do nothing. But you need to step up and, and fulfill your role. But the world wants to divide us up, wants us to be men versus women, doesn't it? Wants to take our church and say, well, ladies' ministry is over here and men's ministry is over here and we'll tolerate each other the rest of the time. That's not who we're supposed to be. We're not supposed to be divided up. We are men and women, according to what Scripture teaches, we are of equal value. But we were shaped uniquely to fulfill specific roles according to what God's word says. And, and I, I put this, this statement here, androgyny is not biblical. And androgyny is the practice of flattening out and saying that men and women should all do the exact same thing all the time. That there are no distinctions. And that's not biblical. Instead, men, we should be men. Women, you should be women to the glory of God. And we all have the roles and we, uh, that we've been given by Scripture and we should work hard to fulfill them and not allow our culture or the, the, the forces of evil to divide us, especially in our homes and our church. Sorry. I'm a little, like, low-key today. I hope I'm not boring you too much. Um, but I just, <laughs> I got emotional and that, like, taps me out like three tears and I'm done for the day. I need a nap. Galatians three twenty-seven through 29. The apostle Paul writes this to the church in Galatia. He says, for those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. Everybody is a believer. When you have believed on Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you baptized into him. You're clothed in Christ. You're, you're, you are righteous like he is. You are full like he is. You are beloved as he is. And then Paul says this, there's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, those old distinctions that used to tear us apart, 
that used to be areas where we would, we would hate one another, where we would combat one another. In Christ, we all find redemption. And we all find a newness of life. And so we, we find a fresh start to be who he made us to be. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed according to the promise. Salvation, it's freely available to all who would believe regardless of ethnicity or sex or background or previous beliefs. Some of you, I'm going to say something that would just, it's just going to blow your mind. If you are a Republican, I want you to know a Democrat can be saved. If you are a Democrat and you're a union member, I want you to know Republicans can know Jesus. I want you to know that someone who is in the deepest, darkest trenches of sin can be saved. I want you to know wives, husbands who disappoint you, they can know Jesus and be saved and be made whole. Husbands, wives who hurt your feelings and degrade you and speak nothing but destruction into your life can be saved. And your relationships can be made right. Everyone, regardless of ethnicity, sex, background. If you are Italian, I want you to know Germans can be saved. Right? That, that there is no distinction. If you are white, I want you to know that there are dark-skinned believers all over this world. If you're dark-skinned, I want you to know white people can be saved too, regardless of what modern culture might tell you. Salvation is freely available to all who believe, regardless of, of ethnicity, sex, background, or previous beliefs. And that truth should unite us in Christ Jesus and liberate us, set us free from the things that used to divide us and cause hatred in our hearts. Set us free from all of that so that we can be the best of who we are. You can be a saved German and God can use you in mighty ways, not because you're German, but because you're saved. You can be a saved man, a saved woman, and be used mightily of God because he has set you free from the hatred towards others that you used to live in and made it possible for you to be free in him and glorify Christ in all that you do. It doesn't matter our background, but what matters is our Savior. And He sets us free from the hatred and division and the selfishness and the self-righteousness and makes us His own so that we might be all that we were created to be. In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I want to encourage you, continue to share the gospel. You want to see somebody's life change? Share the gospel with them. You can give them food. You can give them kindness. Those are right things to do, but you really want to see their life changed. Share the gospel. If they're your enemy, do you know what you should do for them? Share the gospel. Why? Because if they get saved, do you know what you have now instead of an enemy? A friend, a brother, a sister. And Christ will unite us. Even bigger, though, on a regular basis, do things like this. Speak kindly. Proverbs 16, 24, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and healthy to the body. In your home, speak kindly. In our church, speak kindly. When you're speaking of your brothers and sisters to Christ, to strangers, speak kindly. Stop complaining. 
Stop gossiping. Speak kindly. Our memory verse for this week. I have it memorized in a different translation. So in the translation, I have it memorized in the NIV. Let no unwholesome talk come from your mouth except that which is good for for the, the building up of others so that it may benefit those who listen. In other words, don't say anything without the intent of building up someone else in Christ. Speak kindly. Serve selflessly. For you will call to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. You want to get over your prejudices? You want to get over your issues with the color of someone else's skin or their politics or their ethnic background or the fact that they're a man or a woman? Serve selflessly. Share generously. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Share yourself, share your meals, share your things. It's like we're in preschool all of a sudden. Share generously. When you share with others, the hatreds that come so easily will be quickly destroyed. Support steadfastly. In other words, continue to support on a regular basis even when it's not easy. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And then finally, forgive freely. Stop holding grudges. Stop judging on superficial things. Stop dividing yourself from others based on things that are meaningless. Instead, forgive freely. We've memorized this verse. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ, excuse me, as God in Christ has forgiven you. And so today, these divisions that so easily entangle us, these things, these lines that we create amongst ourselves, we must defeat them. We must get rid of them. We must become all that God has created us to be by eliminating ethnic prejudice from our lives and our hearts. From being so consumed with politics that we hate people instead of praying for them. Or that we're so caught up in the gender wars that we're willing to burn down our own homes for the sake of victory. Instead, let us share the gospel freely and speak kindly and serve selflessly and share generously and support steadfastly as we forgive freely. Let's pray together. Father, we we thank you for this time. We thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ. And that through him, we all can be one family, responsible to and for one another. That our ethnic background doesn't matter. That our politics, while they matter in light of Scripture, they should not matter in dividing us. That our, our roles as men and women should not create confusion and division within us, but instead be leveraged to your glory and each other's building up. Those things that the world tells us should divide us, may they become meaningless to us as we find unity in you. 
Help us to serve. Help us to speak. Help us to share and support and forgive in such a way that we are unified and we grow together. Thank you for this time and thank you for your word. And Father, we we do ask that if anyone this morning realizes their need for Jesus, that they're ready to be set free from the division and the hatred of this world, that they would talk to someone this morning and ask what must they do to be saved so that they too can know the freedom that comes through your son, that they too can be freed from ethnic prejudice and political hatred and the gender war and instead brought into a family that is united and one in Christ. Bless this family that you have created, Lord. We are brothers and sisters under your guidance. May we become all that you've placed the potential of becoming within us. May that be true of us in coming days and weeks and months. The seeds that you have planted, that they would grow into beautiful, beautiful, fruitful plants that produce righteousness and good fruit. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's uh, sing our closing song together.